quite unusual. Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Quite Unusual Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Nicole. And I'm Noelle. And we'd like to welcome you to our show. Welcome, 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 welcome to the show. I have something before we get into everything else Mm -hmm. that I'd like to bring up for all of our listeners. Why do I have a bad feeling about this? Um, Well, we just talked about it before we actually pressed play. (gasps) Oh, no. Noelle, Mm -hmm. can you tell us about (laughs) a specific playlist that you have that you play for yourself doing a specific thing that you do? Yes. Do you care to elaborate on that? Sure. This was pretty vague, but I liked it. Okay. So a little bit of background right now. So we just did a champagne pop dance, which we, we haven't done in we, a really long yeah. time. We used to do it every time we recorded because uh, it was like a fun thing. And then yeah. we became less fun and started drinking whiskey and became like yeah. surly, just <laughs> angry women, I guess, for the yes. last couple weeks. Yeah. But months. Who Who's counting? Yeah. Um, but I wanted to play a song mm-hmm. on my favorite playlist, mm-hmm. so we played it while we danced. Right. And you looked at it, and you were like, I'm sorry, what is this playlist called? And what is what was that playlist called, Noelle? Bread in the Car. And why is the playlist <laughs> called Bread in the Car, Noelle? Because I listen to it when I eat bread in the car. <laughs> Please elaborate. <laughs> On why and when you eat bread in your car. Okay, you know like when you go into a store. I feel like a fucking psychopath right now. When you go into the store and you buy like a French baguette, right? Or like a good like big thick loaf of like sourdough. Some kind of beautiful uncut loaf. It could be cut. I'm not here to judge. But like a real like good crusty loaf of bread. Not like a, yeah, not like the white bread that you buy. No, no, no. an actual real bread. Yes, real bread. Yes. So, and you buy it, mm-hmm. and you get in the car, and you're like, I'm going to eat some bread right now <laughs> on the way home, right? <laughs> so, so I do, and I prefer baguettes, and I prefer to bite yeah. it right off the loaf, if I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. And I listened to a very 80s playlist that I titled Bread in the Car, because when I made it, I was sitting in my car eating bread, <laughs> and it just felt right. And you have a, she has a specific playlist. I do. On her phone. I do. Called Bread in the Car. It's a good playlist. In which she eats. Bread in my car. Bread in her car Uh and listens to this playlist. Yeah, that's the, yep, there it is. Are you driving when you, when you're eating this bread or is it like, are you in a parked situation? Oh, it depends on the mood. I think (laughs) it depends. Um, Okay. It depends on what's going on. Okay. I think. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like if I start the playlist, like sometimes in the middle with like believe I share. Mm-hmm. Um, love share. I'm usually driving because I love to drive to angry music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Angrily optimistic music. Are you calling Cher's song believe an angry song? It's a song about a woman that knows she's too good for a man. Yeah. And she believes in life after love. And I believe in eating bread in the car. Bread in the car. I want to change the subject. Bread in the car. You heard it here. 
on the Quite Unusual podcast. Yeah, you did. Every, every person needs to make a playlist called Bread in the Car. Or just DM us and I'll send you my playlist. <laughs> it's pretty fucking good, to be honest. And once you are done grocery shopping, uh-huh. you put that baby on and you eat bread in your car. It's the little things in life, Nicole. And I will not be shamed for eating bread in my car while listening to songs from the Karate Kid soundtrack. Hey, I'm not, we're not, we're not shaming anyone here. We're just, we just want to know <laughs> your methods. And I mean, if you have a playlist called Bread in the Car on your phone, I'm going to question it. Do you have like a specific, do you have like a workout playlist that you listen to? Yeah. Okay. This is my marathon. <laughs> Eating a loaf of bread in the car is my exercise. I, you know what? I support it. I Thank support you. you. I support you too. I support you and I support eating mm. bread in the car. Thank you. Okay. You box to, I don't know what songs. I eat bread to, <laughs> you don't know what songs. And here we are. Two women living our lives to soundtracks for very specific things. <laughs> just, do it, just doing it. Some of us eat bread in the car. Some of us don't. Some of us choose health. <laughs> whatever man i am who i am i want to talk about something else that happened today okay that i think is very important that i thought everyone knew about but yeah. it turns out barely anyone knows about yeah you brought it up and i was like i don't know what you're talking about but pause because yeah. we need to discuss this uh-huh. when i hit record yeah so please carry on okay so I asked you, have you heard of the legendary yeah. Josh Battlefield fight of 2021? Yeah, and I, it sounds hilarious, but I've never heard of it. Okay, so basically, here's a quick little rundown. So on Facebook Messenger, there was mm-hmm. a guy named Josh. I yeah. don't know his last name, doesn't matter. His first <laughs> name was Josh. Okay. He made a group chat of as many other people named Josh, not Joshua, <laughs> Josh. Yeah. As he possibly could before, like, the group chat capped him. Yeah. And he wrote. <laughs> Just random people named Josh. Yeah, all the Joshes. Okay. He wrote, you're probably wondering why I've gathered you all here today. <laughs> and another Josh replies with, because we all share the same name. Hmm. To which the first Josh responded. The, the original Josh. The creator Josh mm. of the group. Precisely. 4-24-2021, 12 p.m., meet at these coordinates. <laughs> and then you shared coordinates. We fight. Whoever wins gets to keep the name. Everyone else has to change their name. You have a year to prepare. Good luck. Wait, so he he sent this to them uh-huh. in 2020? Yeah. And they were supposed to fight on... The 24th of 2021, April Which 24th. is today. And guess what they did? No. They met in the co- the coordinate field <laughs> and they fucking fought. How many Joshes showed up? I have no idea. There's a video of it. No. There's multiple videos from multiple angles and what? it's incredible. Basically, it's like a giant, you know, like the pool noodles, like the foam ones. Yeah. And they all have them and they're just like <laughs> beating the shit out of each other between like all these Joshes. <laughs> And ultimately, yeah. the victor was a five-year-old, obviously named Josh. The one Josh to rule them all. He was crowned, quote, the Supreme Josh. <laughs> all other Joshes have to legally change their name now. 
So congrats to the Supreme Josh, the only Josh in existence. And he was a five-year-old. All right. Well, hats off to five-year-old Josh. He did it. If you don't know what I'm talking about, please look it up. It is such a fun story. Is it? Where did you find this? On I found it on Twitter a long time ago. <laughs> Not like a full year ago, but like probably a good like nine months ago. Yeah. And people were like, wait, has anyone else seen this? And I just was obsessed with it. That is. And today was the day of the Josh fight. It went down. And it went down hard. And a five-year-old Josh (laughs) was the victor. The Supreme Josh. (laughs) The Supreme Josh. Long may he reign. (laughs) Wow. Well, I mean, I guess now that we've talked about eating bread in the car. Yeah. And the playlist to go along with it. And then also... (laughs) the uh supreme josh yes to rule all of the other joshes should we talk about what we're going to be talking about a real topic yeah yeah probably all right well today we're tackling a case that is actually currently ongoing and it's in the news right now so you've probably heard of it maybe you already know a little bit about it but today we are covering the Kristen smart case before we get in too deep into this, I just want to say that this is that this episode should be used to sort of like cover all the general information on the case. Yeah. Like if you're wondering what's going on and you just want like some like overview, we right. go into a little bit of detail, but we're not like crazy, crazy hard on it, to mm-hmm. be completely honest, because it would be like a five part series. And we're not doing that right now. Yeah. Since obviously everyone is talking about this, we just wanted to give like a solid overview. Right. And... Yeah, just let you know what's up. Also, I read today that it has been 24 years, Mm -hmm. 10 months, four weeks, and one day since Kristen Smart disappeared. Wow. Too long. A long time, bro. So long. It's actually a case that I was not familiar with until it was brought back up in the news because of, obviously, new evidence surfacing. And it's actually still developing as we record this, which is also a first for us. Yeah. Pretty interesting. Sort of fun. And some evidence was brought to the police by a fellow podcaster named Chris Lambert and his podcast called Your Own Backyard. It's pretty freaking good, dude. Yeah. So we say we're just going to give you the overview. If you want an in-depth coverage of this whole case... Highly encourage you to listen to Your Own Backyard, the podcast, because it's very good and it's very well done. So kudos to Chris and all of the work that he's done regarding this case. Yeah. So when I started the the first episode a while ago, Mm -hmm. I started it and he like gave like a little brief overview and then the theme music started playing and it was like Westworld to a T (laughs) and I was instantly hooked. It's like this beautiful, like, I don't know, man, you're going to love it. It's such a good podcast. Like remember when the teacher's pet podcast made the rounds? Yes. This gives me like the same feels. Yeah. I'm hooked on it. Yeah. So he actually, he interviewed people about the case He dug up some interesting information and encouraged those people to go to the cops, which then produced some valuable info, some valuable info that actually led the cops to where they are now in the case. So, I mean, I just think that that's absolutely amazing 
just internet sleuths and podcasters doing good and helping to solve a cold case is really the energy we need for 2021. Dude, it's so fucking amazing. Like, I love that a lot of cases on that show, Unsolved Mysteries, that obviously we all love, were solved after the show aired by internet sleuths or people just recognizing and coming forth with information. Yeah. It's so exciting to see people get obsessed and then actually help a case. Yeah. And, like, out-cop the cops, you know? (laughs) Out-cop the cops. I'm so into it. Exactly. I mean, he does an in-depth on the whole case, and he actually says something in the first episode that really got me. Because obviously, you know that we pride ourselves on our research that we do. And he said uh, when he was first researching Kristen's case, all that he could find really was just a couple of podcasts on the story. But he said, end quote, they mostly revolved around reading from the Wikipedia page while making mixed drinks, Mm. which gave me a little bit of a giggle because, I mean... We all know those types of podcasts. Yeah, dude. I'm so glad you brought this up because I was just about to. (laughs) This also really hooked me. Like, what is it with, like, true crime that it gets paired with alcoholic drinks, like, every single time? It's like true crime and wine. That's definitely a podcast name. (laughs) And I just made that up. And we're not shitting on them at all. No, 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 no. Don't hate us. No, no, no. We're not shitting on it. It's a specific thing people like, like eating bread in the car to a specific playlist, (laughs) and no one is allowed to shit on them because of it. Yeah. It's just so funny that it's like bread. It's bread analogy again. Bread and butter. It's like true crime and And alcohol. And I don't know why. I know. Well, I mean, if you think everyone likes true crime and everyone typically likes alcohol too, so. Yeah, like I can't think of how. (laughs) Right? I can't think of how many profiles i've seen that are like we love all things paranormal all things true crime and oh yeah we also like beer right yeah and i just it's so fun that he called it out because it's such a trope yeah and honestly i think we did that in our first two episodes oh yeah we totally tried to go that route and then we pulled them off the internet yeah we can't we can't i guess we can't really shit on them too hard because no man we tried it we tried it it didn't work. Of course. It didn't fit. No. And now we're here. Wasn't who we were. No. Was not. No. So I guess without further ado, shall we dive right in? I think we doobly do. All righty. Is that the opposite of adu? Doobly do? Doobly do is, yeah, that's the opposite. Yeah. Okay. So Everyone like, knows that. I think so. Okay. <laughs> Let's get into it. Kristen Denise Smart was born February 20th, 1977. Shout out to all the February babies. To parents Stan and Denise Smart in Augsburg, Germany. Her parents were teachers working at a school for the children of U.S. military service members over in Germany. Her mother described her as a dreamer, even from a young age. She was bright and adventurous. She walked early. She read early always ready to take on whatever life threw at her in stride. When Kristen was three years old, her parents moved back to the States and they settled in California, where her parents would go on to have two more children, a boy named Matt and another girl named Lindsay. Kristen's mom remembers her being absolutely obsessed and just totally enamored by her little siblings. She loved to play with them, like sort of like they were dolls or she would pretend to be a teacher and hold classes for them really super cute older sibling stuff they just rarely fought and when they did it would only last a moment before Kristen would think up some other fun activity for them 
Oh, that's really cute. I mean, that is not the way that I played with my sister and brother. <laughs> I mean, I made them do my bidding. Oh, no. Like, literally, we played a game called Butler. And it was basically me and my sister playing whatever. Usually it was Barbies. And we'd make my little brother be our butler and get us snacks and pop and whatever else we wanted. And we'd always go, butler, come here, please. We need more chips. Or, like, some stupid shit like that. Yeah. And I think at one point we even draped, like, a towel across his arm and made him hold it like a butler. I love it. I mean, those were the kind of games that we played. So, I guess. I like it. I was not as great of an older sister as Kristen Smart was. Oh, well, no, it's not that. You were just different. (laughs) You were just different. She took an authority figure with the teacher game. Right. She was trying to teach her siblings. You took an authority figure with the mysterious European heiress theme. Just making them do whatever I wanted them to. Hey, man, that's life. (laughs) So I know that this is such a stereotype to say that a missing person, like, lit up a room with their smile which is what everyone always says oh she was the best we loved her like whatever because you're not gonna say like she was an asshole yeah (laughs) she was kind of a fucking dick to be completely (laughs) honest but by all accounts of family and friends neighbors and even casual acquaintances Mm -hmm. Kristen's personality was magnetic and her happiness was absolutely contagious So this is like the single one time that that was true. Otherwise, everyone else, not great. Total dicks. Total dicks. (laughs) Just kidding. No, everyone else is probably great, too. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's okay. We're moving on. When Kristen was nine, her parents moved the family to Stockton, California. At this time, Kristen was in fourth grade. And as a human who was once in fourth grade and has been a girl for quite some time, Mm. I got to say that that is a very rough time to move to a new school. Fourth yeah. grade girls are scary. I'm scared of them now. And yeah. they're very clicky. I just think girls in general are just very clicky. Yeah. We were any just age. talking about this. Yeah. Any Asian in school. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's rough. It's rough. And then you girls. get out of school and it's like everything's a shit show. <laughs> no one cares. No. <laughs> But Kristen was confident, and she found friendship very easy. So she quickly fit in and gained a bunch of new friends. She was sporty. She loved swimming and volleyball especially. Any outdoor sport, it was her jam. She also loved traveling, and she spent the summer of her sophomore year of high school in England with friends of the family. Then the next summer, she was an exchange student in Venezuela because she wanted to learn Spanish better. That's amazing. So... So brave, dude. Yeah. She was also very responsible and a self-described planner. She was everyone in her neighborhood's first choice for a babysitter because she was so engaged with children and just really so capable. Kristen wasn't one to be easily caught off guard or make poor choices. Kristen changed high school during her junior year. She chose to attend the school that her dad was principal at so that she could spend more time with him. She actively chose to leave her group of friends in the comfortable situation that she was in to make sure that she had more time with her dad. That's so sweet. That's like the perfect example of who she was. Mm -hmm. She had dreams of becoming an architect, often drawing up blueprints just for fun. 
So naturally, the school she would attend would have to have a great architecture program. Initially, she had hoped to get into a university on the Virgin Islands, which is very cool. Yeah. But she was convinced by her loving parents to attend a school closer to home. Kristen had been accepted to California Polytechnic State University in San Luis Obispo, California, a school with a fantastic architecture program that just happened to be around three and a half hours away from her family home in Stockton. And before you ask, (laughs) yes, I looked it up. Mm. This Mm. is, first and foremost, without a doubt, a geography podcast. And second, a paranormal true crime podcast. That is exactly right. Geography first, ghosts and murders second. I mean, you guys should know that by now. We pride ourselves on mileage between locations. (laughs) Don't even Google it, because I'm right. Three and a half hours. Mm -hmm. Her parents had framed the school as ideal for Kristen. A huge selling point was the proximity, obviously. Three and a half hours. We've been over this. And the, quote, safe community that the school presented. Stan, Kristen's father, said, quote, We thought that it would be a good place for her. Mm -hmm. Which breaks my freaking heart. Imagine convincing your child to go to a different school And then that ends up being the place that she disappears. Right. And then one of the reasons that you use to get her to go to that school is because it's safe. Mm Mm-hmm. That's just... But, I mean, I get it. It was close to home, and it probably felt really safe. Right. After graduating high school with mostly A's in 1995, the 17-year-old Kristen decided that she needed one more adventure before college. So she applied to be a camp counselor and lifeguard at Camp Mokalea. Is that probably how we say that? That sounds right. Sure. That was on Oahu in Hawaii. Even though she was technically too young for the job, she was hired and she spent her last summer working what she called her dream job. It's amazing to me all of the places that she traveled to and just like all of the things that she experienced before she was even a college freshman. Yeah, dude. Like, she lived an amazing life. Like, I think when I was 18, I, like, went to Indiana once. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. no, I feel like I'm not even joking. She was so adventurous Uh and just, I don't know. She was an amazing person. Yeah, just like a go-getter, just knew what she wanted and she went for it. Yeah. I love that. Love it. In the fall of that year, she began classes at California Polytechnic State University, which is a really long name, and I'm mm. never saying it again. <laughs> so so let me do that again. In the fall of that year, she started classes at Cal Poly. Way better. I'm going with it, and we're going to save so much time Yes. by me not just saying that <laughs> wrong every fucking time, and then you have to edit it out because this is an editing nightmare. <laughs> Kristen moved into the dorms. She shared a room in the Muir Hall building with a roommate called Crystal Calvin. She was quite the world traveler, so this wasn't the shock to the system that most college freshmen experience. She was definitely missing her tight-knit family, but she was all right. And Nicole, I have to ask you, because you went to college because you're an adult, (laughs) was it super tough to live away from your family at first? Uh, You know, I never really had that problem. No? I mean, I went home for breaks and long weekends and stuff, but... I don't think I was ever really homesick. Mm. I mean, I remember I couldn't wait to leave my house, though, because 
my house is pretty packed and I'm the type of person who just like needs my alone time. And it was always very hard for me to get that in my house growing up because there's just a lot of animals, a lot of people. So when I went to college, I was like, freedom. Nice. So, yeah. I mean, but I did. I went home all the time, though, too. So I guess that helped. And I had a similar situation to Kristen where my college was about like two and a half hours away. So it was a short drive. Just a wonderful bus trip home. Yeah. Wonderful bus trips. For (laughs) sure. During her freshman year, Kristen started experimenting with who she was, which we all do. Oh, yeah. She would have people call her Marisol, mm. Trixie, Oh, Kiana. Okay. And finally, she settled on Roxy Ooh. as her persona of choice. Live your life to be an exclamation rather than an explanation was Roxy's motto and also what she signed her emails with. Really? Yeah, is that fun? I sort of love that, though. Actually, I really love that. Yeah, I love that she... This is the only time I will ever support someone picking their own nickname. Yes. Fully. Yeah, Yeah, if you choose that you want to be a Roxy going forward, I support you. Mm -hmm. You live that life. You be a Roxy, girl. You are Roxy. You channel that Roxy energy. Mm -hmm. And also, Roxy just seems to fit her. Yeah. She was over six feet tall. A blonde, yeah, super tan, really sporty, a Cali girl, definitely rocked a puka shell necklace. Oh, for sure. And if a Roxy has ever existed, it was her. Oh, hell yeah. She was beautiful. Definitely Roxy. I mean, the puka shell necklace. Like an Elizabeth would never even pick up a puka. A Roxy? Hell yeah, dude. She's oh. rocking pukas all day long. Yes. Yeah. All day. She also, at one point, decided to dye her beachy blonde hair brown, and she started going to parties. Oh. Mm-hmm. We all experiment with hair colors when we're in college. Yeah. I had fire engine red. Oh, true crime red. That was a thing. Yeah. For me. I had purple and blue and pink. Yeah. Yeah. You got to. You got to. It's super fun. Yeah. Kristen didn't drink at these parties, but she would pretend to be drunk for fun. Hmm. Still, she was responsible, and she was never one to get into trouble. She would even call home every week to chat to her mama on Sundays. Kristen was living the life of a college freshman, figuring herself out, exploring life, and just having fun. So on the Friday of the long Memorial Day weekend, she obviously went to a party. Who wouldn't? Yeah, I mean, if you're staying on campus and people are throwing parties, you're going to go. I would think so. Hell yeah. At 5.30 p.m. on May 24th, 1996, just before going out, Kristen called her mom like she always did. Hi, good news, good news, she said in a message that she left for her mom. This would be the last time that Denise Smart would hear from her daughter while she was alive. 8.30 p.m. that night, Kristen and her three friends left the dorms on Polly Hill to go out for the night. The weather was hot, and it was in, like, the 80s, so Kristen was wearing a crop top, black running shorts, and red gym shoes. And I gotta say, love a crop top. Always a good choice. Yeah, you rock crop tops. I'm wearing one right now. You are. Those are your thing, for sure. I love that for her. Love a crop top. While leaving their dorm, they saw one of their friends driving their truck, and they decided to flag them down. The four got in, with Kristen in the cab and the others in the bed of the truck. 
They drove around for about two hours before Kristen suggested a party at a bungalow near campus. Think an animal house style frat with a reputation for just all out douchebaggery. Oh, yeah. I've been to plenty of those in college. But her friends didn't want to go to their fraternity at 135 Crandall Way. So they dropped her off a couple of blocks from the house and they went home. Kristen's friend Margarita Campos recalls Kristen saying, you go with me. But Margarita refused. She said, I can still see her standing there after we dropped her off. A little mad, I think, that I wouldn't go with her. Yeah, I think from my understanding, Margarita didn't really want to go out at all that night. Mm -hmm. And Kristen kind of pushed her. And she was like, okay, whatever, I'll go with you. And then they weren't really finding much. And they found this party, and she was just like, yeah, you know what? I'm just going to go back. Yeah. And she let Kristen go by herself. <sighs> yeah. Kristen was independent and confident. She wasn't afraid to go to a party by herself. It was around 8.30 p.m., and she had not been drinking. The weekend was just beginning, and she was going to live it. The party, probably exactly what you're picturing from the phrase college frat party, had a keg, <laughs> obviously. A fistfight, have to. At least 60 people, drunken escapades, and it endured until around 2 a.m. Please elaborate what a drunken escapade might entail. Well, a drunken escapade? Let's see. You know, like when you like kind of have like a little too much to drink and you're mm. like definitely mixing alcohol. So like you had some wine, you definitely like took some shots. And I don't know if that was a good choice. Beer before liquor, never been sicker. Absolutely. Maybe you did a keg stand. Don't do those. Mm, I suck at those. I just I'm too old to be upside down. Like, <laughs> let's be honest. You're definitely mixing alcohol. You're definitely drunk. All your friends are drunk, kind of getting sloppy. Mm. And then someone pulls out. The Uno deck. That's right. You're sitting in a circle. Maybe you're slapping down like some reverse, reverse, whatever. Someone throws down a pick four. Mm. Bam, fist fight. Oh, that's what started the fist fight? Yeah, dude. You're going to throw down the game of Uno? a pick four on me? Mm. Well, on Memorial Day weekend? I'd punch somebody in the face too for that. So. You're going to throw down a pick four in my house? I would fight someone if I was drunk enough, probably. Anyone would. Who wouldn't? Tim Davis, a senior who had planned the party along with his bros, said around 2 a.m. he and a woman named Cheryl Anderson, who also lived in a dorm near Kristen's, saw a girl who had been calling herself Roxy laying on the neighbor's lawn passed out. Cheryl knew of Kristen, but she didn't really know her know her. But like any good person, she decided to wake her up and bring her home because people shouldn't sleep on lawns. Yeah, especially females. Yeah. Cheryl helped Kristen up and the three began walking towards the dorms. She remembers Kristen complaining about how cold she was. Later, Tim told a private investigator that the girl that had clearly been Kristen was, quote, acting weird as if she was on something. <sighs> the frat house was only about a 10-minute walk from the dorms, but Kristen was stumbling, and as a result, the three were moving at a snail's pace. Just after they got her off the lawn and they started walking, this guy named Paul Flores, remember that name, yeah. Paul Flores comes up to them from behind. He says, I can help you guys bring this drunk girl back to the dorms, and Tim and Cheryl are like, cool. Paul puts his arm around Kristen's waist. 
and her arm around his neck, even though she was walking by herself. He insists on helping her, like, wounded warrior style, you know, like, yeah. kind of, like, helping her along. Mm-hmm. They walked up Crandall Way, and they took a shortcut behind the rec center to Perimeter Avenue. At this street, Tim said, bye, bitches, and he leaves to go collect his car parked nearby. Kristen, Cheryl, and Paul are still walking toward the dorms. Cheryl would go on to testify that Paul was being really, really weird. He would stop so that Cheryl would end up walking ahead of them. And then he would say, oh, go ahead if you want. And this happened over and over, trying to get Cheryl to leave the two of them alone. She said it was, quote, a little strange. And I'm just going to say this, Cheryl. It's not a little strange. That's a little rapey. Big time rapey. Big time rapey, Cheryl. Fully. Keep saying fully, but it's just I'm full of it this time, I guess. When the three of them got to Grand Avenue a few moments later, Cheryl turned to head to her dorm. Paul promised to bring Kristen home safely, and for some fucking reason, Cheryl was like, okay, thanks, Paul. And then something completely unhinged happened. Paul asked Cheryl for a kiss goodnight. They, like, don't know each other. Yeah. Pretty much. Like, they know of each other. But they don't know each other in any capacity. You were at the same party once. That doesn't mean you know a person. Right. So Cheryl was like, uh, no creep. So Paul said, well, can I have a hug? And Cheryl was like, no, you can't have a hug. But then she was still like, okay, bye. Make sure this girl gets home safe. And I don't know, man that just tried to hug and kiss me, like, take care of her. And then she turned, and then she went back to her dorm room. Yeah. She remembers seeing Paul and Kristen moving towards Kristen's dorm building, but said that she didn't actually look back to make sure that they were still heading that way at any point. Mm -hmm. This would be the last time anyone would admit to seeing Kristen Smart alive. Want to talk about girl code? Yeah. I do want to talk about girl code. First off, we're going to bring it back to Margarita. Yeah. I didn't go, like, to a college, Mm -hmm. but I am a human being that lives on the planet. Yep. And I know, maybe it was different in the 90s. We were, like, four years old when this happened. (sighs) But I don't think it was. I will say this as, I mean, I went to college. I've had plenty of nights like this Mm -hmm. where I've been drunk. My friends never left me. You don't leave your friends. And we never left anyone. No. Even if they were just like a girl who had come out with us and I didn't even really know her. If she was drunk, just you just don't leave them. You no. Leave them. Instantly part of your group and you stick together. But I know girls who have left their friends yeah. and I've been that girl to be like, Hey, are you okay? Yeah. Do you want to walk home with us? Yeah. It happens all of the time, which is insane to me because if you go out with your friends, you should trust them. You mm-hmm. should trust that they will protect you. But some girls don't. Yeah. If I a saw a lot of girls don't actually. It's so weird because if I saw a random girl I didn't know walking yeah. alone, yeah. I'd be like, "Hey, you okay?" Especially if they look like they're drunk and mm-hmm. they can't. I, I I can't tell you how many times I've done that. Right. So many times. So many. Yeah. So, I don't know. And then this Cheryl girl, like, not to shit on anyone. And, like, this obviously isn't her fault or anything. No. Yeah. But, dude. 
Mm-hmm. You're just leaving this girl that you don't know with this yeah. guy that you don't know. That you're getting weird vibes from Who's, when you try to leave. Who tries to kiss you. Yeah. What? Yeah. Uh, well, <sighs> to counter that, she was also drunk. Yeah. Maybe she was tired. Maybe she True. just wanted to go home. I can see that, too. She didn't know Kristen personally. It's Yeah. But, I mean, I guess just... I don't uh, know. Maybe it's PSA just PSA to like, everyone. Every female. Yeah. Watch out. Look out for other females. Yeah. And all the dudes, maybe just don't rape girls. Yeah, that's Just too. blanket statement right now. <laughs> just yeah. don't. Don't yeah. do it. Yeah. So I'm not trying to, like, pass blame on Cheryl. Yeah. But I can honestly say that if I had been in Cheryl's place and this dude was there yeah. and Kristen wasn't coherent enough to tell me where she lived, she would have absolutely been in my dorm room, like dorm room that night. Yeah. Like, yeah. you're just going to come with me because I'm not leaving you with That's this dude. That's another thing, too. That's another thing. It's the fact that she left her with this dude mm-hmm. who I'm sure clearly didn't know her. Right. I don't know. It just it gives me bad vibes. Yeah. And I think... I've I've never gone to a party by myself. I've never let my friends go to a party by themselves. Mm-mm. I don't think you should let any of your girlfriends go to a party by themselves. No. And that's just my personal opinion, but I yeah. can see I can see it both ways and obviously no one is to blame, but right. I don't know. Just be smarter. Yeah. All right. Well, that's been uh Girl Code Corner with Nick and No. Girl Code Corner. There it is. I love it. When Kristen did not show up the next day, she was reported missing to the Cal Poly police by her friend, Margarita Campos, who lived in the dorm right next to hers in Muir Hall. As Noel mentioned, Margarita reluctantly went out with Kristen that night, but went home and did not accompany her to this party. Margarita did, however, give Kristen her keys to get back into the dorm because Kristen did not bring hers with her. In fact, she didn't bring anything. She had no wallet, no purse, no ID, nothing. Also not great. Yeah. The next morning, Margarita knocked on Kristen's door, but there was no answer. It wasn't until Kristen's roommate came home that Margarita realized that Kristen had not come home that night. Margarita called the campus police, and at that time, Kristen had already been missing for 48 hours. The police were not concerned. They thought that she went out of town or went on an unannounced vacation since it was Memorial Day weekend. Despite the fact that all of Kristen's personal belongings were still in her room. Her wallet, her keys, her ID, her purse, everything was still there. I usually leave every single thing that I own of importance at my house when I go somewhere. Right. On like a weekend trip. Yeah. 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 The campus police dragged their feet when it came to reporting her as a missing person to local law enforcement. I have a pretty sad quote that I found about the police ignoring the report. Do you mind if I read it? Please read it. Okay. So this is from her roommate. They were like, it's Memorial Day weekend, and if we did this, if we filed a missing persons report for every student who went away for the weekend, etc., you know, it's just not really necessary. I'm sure she'll be back. So the police were like, well, if we, if we filed a missing persons report for every missing person, right. it's like a lot of paperwork. It's like a different circumstance, though, because she clearly was there that weekend and didn't return from a party. Yeah. They didn't care. 
On this Memorial Day weekend, Kristen's mother, Denise, was at a swim meet with Kristen's two younger siblings. Kristen was supposed to call her mom the Sunday of that weekend like she normally did, but that phone call never came. On Monday, May 27th, two days after Kristen was reported missing, her mother, Denise, received a call from the campus police informing her that Kristen had been missing all weekend. And they asked her mother if Kristen had potentially gone home, which she obviously had not. Imagine getting that phone call. Yeah. We can't find your daughter. Is she with you? Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Kristen's parents then tried to file a missing persons report with the local authorities, but they were told it was too early. And the FBI claimed this was under Cal Poly Campus Police's jurisdiction. I recently learned that if you think that someone is missing, do not call the cops. Do not talk to local law enforcement. Who do you call? You immediately call the FBI because they're How? like beholden to find out what like what's happening. How do you call the FBI though? I don't know. There have to be phone numbers somewhere. Maybe they have a chat on their website. <laughs> a website chat. <laughs> yeah. Up until this point, the Cal Poly police campus police had never encountered anything of this sort i mean there was never a missing person or possible murder that they had so kristen's father stan along with a large group of friends and family went down to cal poly to search for kristen kristen's mother stayed home just in case kristen made her way back i absolutely love this i don't know why but it is such a dad thing to me that dad's always drive to find their missing daughters <laughs> it's i mean it's basically the plot of every single liam neeson movie ever made yeah, i was gonna say it's got a taken vibe for sure maybe that's why i'm feeling this way mm-hmm. also not to get too far off track but movies are life so i just have to say this i just watched a movie called wrong turn so good the new one yeah that's yeah it okay. just came out and spoiler that's a plot line in the movie is it? Yeah, it's oh, it's such a good movie. It's like so honestly, surprisingly great. See, I wish they would. St- look, there's a another horror movie called Wrong Turn. Have you I seen know. that? With Elijah Dushku. It's a remake of that. Is it? Uh huh. So they are like, there's like inbred people in the woods that try to eat them. Sort of. Yeah. Oh, why it's... are they remaking a movie made in like 2003? Uh, I don't know because Elijah Dushku <laughs> wasn't like a great actor, maybe. She was an amazing actor. How I dare you? <laughs> this is what breaks up our friendship, our Elijah <laughs> Dushku feud. Anyways, the San Luis Obispo County is full of canyons, so there are basically tons of places to hide a body. And this group that Kristen's dad put together, I mean, they had people on horseback, And they even were using ground-penetrating radar devices to look for Kristen, but their search came up empty. It had been four days since Kristen was reported missing that Cal Poly campus police actually started investigating her as a missing person. Oh, wow. Thank you. Mm -hmm. When the campus police started investigating, they discovered that Kristen had been at a house party, which was rented by guys from the Kappa Chi fraternity. And it was not clear if Kristen had actually even really known anyone there. Oh, Kepikai. Kepichai? Kepikai. Kepikai. Kepikai sounds like a stupid name that, like, a fake Starbucks-style coffee shop would have. (laughs) 
like oh y'all have a kappa kai instead of an omega kai thank you a delta kai yeah that's the that's the biggest size that was uh one of the frats when i was in college no that's a large coffee (laughs) people at the party who were interviewed all said the same thing Kristen was extremely intoxicated though it was unclear if she had been drugged or if she had just maybe had had too much to drink Investigators spoke to Tim Davis, who was a senior at the time, and he actually helped throw the party that Kristen attended that night. He told investigators it was around 2 a.m. when the party had subsided, and he was telling people to leave, and he had spotted a very intoxicated, tall, blonde girl on the lawn next door. He said she was passed out and in no condition to walk home, so he and Cheryl Anderson, like mentioned previously, decided that they would help walk her home, along with a boy named Paul Flores, who later joined the group. Davis told the police that Kristen was left with Paul Flores, who was a 19-year-old man from the nearby town of Arroyo Grande, and he was also a fellow student. And the police were told that Kristen was last seen with Paul Flores. The investigation was doomed from the beginning because of several mistakes by the campus police. The first being that they waited so long to actually start investigating. It's unreal. As true crime junkies, we all know the first 48 hours are the most crucial in solving a case. There's a show called 48 Hours. There is. Clues, I mean, memories, they're all fresh. And obviously, as time goes by, evidence gets spoiled. Like so many eggs left out on the counter. (laughs) The campus police waited six days to formally interview Paul Flores, Mm -hmm. the last Mm -hmm. man that was seen with the missing person. Kissing Paul Flores. Six days. Six days. And they also failed to seal his dorm room and check for any signs that Kristen had been there. In an interview with the Cal Poly campus newspaper, Mustang Daily, The campus police claimed that they didn't believe a crime had actually taken place. So that's why they didn't investigate anything. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Like one time um, I hit another car with my car and I was like, I didn't hit you. (laughs) And then there was, I didn't get a ticket. Um, I just got to drive away, actually. It was pretty crazy. It's like, no, I don't believe that I hit you. So bye. It's usually how that works. That is how crime works. (laughs) When interviewed... Paul told the police that he had walked Kristen back to her dorm after the party. And then he went to his room in Santa Lucia Hall. Santa Lucia Hall is literally on the same sidewalk as Muir Hall, which was Kristen's dorm room. It's a very short walk, about 40 yards between Santa Lucia and Muir Hall. And Paul claims that he went into his dorm and left Kristen to walk the few paces back up the walkway into hers. By the time they actually did look into Paul Flores and his dorm room, Kristen had already been missing for 16 days. I'm sorry. A lot happens Mm -hmm. in 16 days. Half a month. Imagine the evidence you can get rid of in 16 days. Dude, imagine the evidence you can get rid of in 24 hours, Mm -hmm. let alone 16 days. That's unreal. Unreal. Also, 
at that point, school was out, and Paul Flores had already moved out of the room, and the room had already been cleaned and sanitized by the school. So by the time they actually do look at the room, there's really nothing to find. That sounds almost purposeful. Mm -hmm. They didn't want to investigate it because they didn't think there was a crime, so they didn't, and then it got clean, and they were like, oh, well. Yep. Additionally, two days after Kristen was reported missing, but still before any authorities were actually doing anything about it, Paul Flores went to the Arroyo Grande Police Department because he had an outstanding DUI warrant. Flores was photographed for a mugshot, and in his mugshot, there are faint traces of a black eye and scratches on his body. Mm. Paul was questioned about how he got this black eye, and he gave police three different stories. Wow, that's convenient. I wonder who could have possibly given him the black eye and the scratches. Well, first, he tells police that it was from playing basketball with his friends. His friends who are cats, and that's why he has so (laughs) many scratches. But when one of his friends were interviewed... They told police that Paul already had the black eye and scratches when he came to play. When asked by his friends what had happened to his face, Paul told them that he had just woke up with a black eye that morning. Oh, it happens to me all the time. Right? All the time. When police presented him with this information, Paul admitted he had lied. And he said, well, actually... I hit my eye on my steering wheel while I was driving and changing the radio. Why were you driving, Paul? You have a DUI. (laughs) Paul was very much one of those in and out of trouble kind of guys. Mm -hmm. I was reading his rap sheet and honestly, it's insane. I was like looking up like what the codes were and stuff. It's crazy long, Mm -hmm. like longer than the kind of story that a toddler tells. You know what I mean? (laughs) They're like, um, and then uh, we went to, um, and then my friend, um, Dylan, you know, Dylan is, um, but Dylan doesn't like um, Sharon. And then Sharon is, um, so we were going to the um, the park and then, um, um, and then do you have any snacks? Because, and then Dylan was, I'm just going to stop doing that because, yeah. Wow. You ever talk to a child? (laughs) Exhausting. Mm -hmm. Campus police also took it upon themselves To do a little victim blaming. Got to. As if their lack of investigation wasn't enough. They wrote an incident report that stated that Kristen's behavior contributed to her disappearance. She was drinking. She was alone. What? And she was a girl. Have you ever tried not being a girl? Okay, so are you ready to get extremely pissed off? I am, but I'm already pissed. Here's a little excerpt from the report, and it stated, Kristen does not have any friends at Cal Poly, which was not true. She appeared to be under the influence of alcohol the night she went missing. And Kristen was talking with and socializing with different males at the party on Friday night. So she deserved to disappear? Exactly. Exactly. Holy shit, dude. I told you. How get did, ready to get pissed off. How did her parents not sue the fucking shit out of these cops? Right. An official massive search was not orchestrated until Kristen had already been gone for over a month. And this is also when 
over a month later, the Cal Poly campus police finally handed the case over to the real police of San Luis Obispo County. Wow. Four months after the massive search, Paul Flores was brought before a grand jury. And not much is known because proceedings were not publicized, but we do know that no charges were filed. Okay, so he was the suspect here. Oh, yes. Days after taking over the investigation, the sheriff's department brought in several cadaver dogs to the Cal Poly dorms. The dogs went through the dorms and didn't hit anything until they came upon Paul Flores' dorm. (gasps) The dogs were trained to smell human remains. Yeah. When they let the dog in, he went straight to Paul Flores' bed. (gasps) No shit. At this time, the dorm had already been cleaned and moved out of. So it was professionally cleaned, and this dog still hit this spot. And actually, three more dogs were sent in, and they all hit the exact same spot. Please tell me how this is not enough evidence to even arrest him. I have no idea. And dude, these dogs are so insanely trained. I was reading that a lot of these cadaver dogs are actually used to comb through landfills mm-hmm. for bodies. Yeah. So they're like insanely trained. Like yeah. nothing will trip up a cadaver dog. Yeah. Absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. And four of them went straight to his bed. After the entire building had been cleaned for the next student to come and sit in that and live in that room i wonder what they would have found exactly even with this information the sheriff's department did not think that they had enough evidence against flores so they didn't arrest him i wish dogs could testify how cute would that be amazing oh my god paul actually had a reputation for being a creep on campus he was basically just always hitting on women Cheryl Anderson, who was the woman who helped bring Kristen back halfway, told police that Paul was known amongst her friends as Chester the Molester because he was such a fucking creep and was actually known to grope girls. Okay, so she did know him and she knew that he was a fucking creep. Yeah. And also Chester the Molester... Is, I'm, I have a lot of problems with that nickname for him. Because <laughs> his name is Paul, right? Paul Flores. Yeah. And I feel like they could have given him something better than that. Like what? I don't know. Because Paul doesn't really lend itself to like a good rapey nickname. Yeah. Like Paul the Mall. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't have the same ring. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go with Chester Molester <sighs> on that one. I guess on this one. Sorry. I'm going to workshop it. I'll let you know at the end of the podcast. <laughs> Five months before Kristen went missing, the San Obispo police were called by a female student living off campus who claimed a man was climbing up her trellis up to her window and trying to get inside her home. The man was extremely wasted and refused to leave. This man was Paul Flores. When the police got there, it was Paul Flores. Wow. This is five months before Kristen. But no charges were ever brought against him for this incident. Why? I don't know. This guy is, he's extremely lucky and I don't understand why. Damn, dude. So he's like a real fucking creep. Mm-hmm. Paul Flores always had a reputation of being a predator to women. In high school, 
His name was Scary Paul. I like Scary Paul better than Chester the Molester. Molester. (laughs) Women stated that no one ever wanted to be alone in a room with him. And if you were drunk at a party, you would make sure none of your friends were alone with him. It was just like an unspoken rule amongst the girls that he went to high school with. And it was just like, watch out for Paul. Fuck, that's so scary. He is scary, Paul. Yeah. In May 1997... Sheriff Ed Williams told the San Luis Obispo Telegraph that we need Paul Flores to tell us what happened to Kristen Smart. So absent something from Mr. Flores, I don't see us completing this case. So basically what the fucking sheriff stated to the public was if you keep your mouth shut, Paul, you don't say shit, you can get away with murder. Wow. And he just said that, like, in the newspaper. Yep. That's unreal, dude. They are setting this guy up for Mm -hmm. success. Six months later, Paul Flores was deposed for the civil suit. He pled the fifth on everything. The only thing he stated on record to James Murphy was that his name was Paul Flores. What a piece of shit. An absolute piece of shit. He invoked the Fifth Amendment 27 times during that meeting and it fucking worked yeah well you can't that's what it's there for when he was first interviewed by police he told them if you're so smart then tell me where the body is (gasps) cocky little fucker fun fact scott peterson who went to jail for the murder of his wife Lacey peterson right attended cal poly at the same time as kristen smart And when he was being investigated for the disappearance and the murder of his wife, Lacey, that little tidbit was discovered by the media and they just took it and ran. That's wild. So Scott denied having anything to do with Kristen Smart and her disappearance. And police actually did look into it, but they couldn't find any connections. And he was eventually ruled out as a suspect. That's pretty... That's pretty funny, though. It's pretty weird, yeah, Yeah, right? What a coincidence. At the time of Kristen's disappearance, Paul Flores' parents were separated and living in two separate homes. Four months after the disappearance, they attempted to try to mend things, and Susan Flores moved out of her home and into Ruben Flores' house in Arroyo Grande, which is Ruben is Paul's father. A young couple and their child moved in to Susan Flores' home. And they were renting it. In October of 1996, so around five months after Kristen had gone missing, the woman who was renting the house made a discovery while she was washing her car in the driveway. She spotted something shiny. And what she found was a woman's earring. Just one. And she said that the earring matched a necklace that Kristen was wearing in the multiple missing persons posters and pictures that had been posted about her disappearance. The woman was named Mary Lassiter, and she said that it was red, and it had a smudge, like a fingerprint design sort of on the back, and she turned it over to a detective who lost it and never booked it for evidence. In fact, the smarts never even knew it existed, until the Lassiters were deposed in January of 1997. So they have this earring. 
Never once did they ask the parents if it belonged to Kristen or matched anything that she owned. And the smarts demanded to see the earring when they found out that it existed, and they were told it was misplaced. And also the cops doubled down and said that they didn't even consider it as a piece of evidence Mm -hmm. because it looked like, quote, something a child would wear. Yeah. They do a lot of that in this where they just don't take anything seriously because they don't think that it's relevant. Yeah. They just fully, fully dismissed it. It had a red splotch on it that Mm kind of looked like blood. And Mary put it in a plastic bag because she thought that it was important and it was like evidence and the cops were like nah then where did it fucking go in the garbage exactly it was given to a detective he lost it never booked it and investigators did not search the home even after they were given this this little bit of information that could have been a lead oh god how fucking frustrating like why can't they do their jobs one time yeah it's this case is just a lot of that and it's so disappointing honestly another thing the cops botched in the case was that they didn't dig deep enough to realize that paul flores's parents were living in two separate homes at the time so they did not get a warrant to search susan flores's home at first but regardless of that the police still waited two months to even search the Flores's family home in which Reuben, the father, had been staying and where Paul Flores was living with his father. When they did search it, they didn't even bring cadaver dogs or a forensics team. And they didn't even search any of the vehicles. No, they said it was like sort of a casual thing. Like they would know mm-hmm. if something was up. Paul did not have a car on campus, but... Reuben owned two trucks at the time, and in the few months after Kristen's disappearance, one of the two trucks was traded in, and the other truck was reported stolen. Suspicious. So police were never able to get their hands on the cars. They probably just would have lost them anyways. (laughs) Honestly. Susan Flores's concrete backyard has been a huge focus just in the case in general. Around the time of Kristen's disappearance... They removed planter boxes in Susan's backyard, which were concrete, and then they filled in the area with soil. It doesn't necessarily prove anything, but they were doing work in the backyard weeks after Kristen went missing. So pretty suspicious. Oh, totally. And Mary Lassiter's husband said that one of the boxes was six feet long by three feet wide. Hmm. Only one of them. And that he tried to plant plants in it, but the dirt was only six inches deep, so mm-hmm. nothing would grow. And then it was just hard concrete yeah. underneath it, which seems really suspicious. Yeah. And I'm just going to say it, kind of coffin-like. Mm-hmm. Mary Lassiter, who was the woman renting the home, and this is the part that I get, I get goosebumps just thinking about this. So she said that when she moved in, she would be awoken by a beeping noise at 4.20 a.m. every morning. I got goosebumps. And she said that the noise was coming from the planter boxes. The coffin-sized one? hmm She could hear it from the master bedroom in which she slept in, and it would wake her up all of the time. 
she would go outside in the middle of the night to try to find whatever was making the beeping noise by sticking sticks into the planter box, but could never find anything. And after a few months, she said the beeping just stopped. From his podcasting research, Chris Lambert, who produced the podcast Your Own Backyard, he discovered that Kristen Smart had been working as a lifeguard at Cal Poly, and her shift started at 5 a.m. in the morning. Kristen also wore a watch, and she used the alarm to wake herself up around that time. This really freaks me out. Mm -hmm. And, dude, holy shit, that would be haunting. Yeah. Can you imagine? That's like the plot of the Telltale Heart. Mm -hmm. Imagine hearing a haunting beep every single morning at 4.20 in the morning. Yeah. I mean, like, 4.20, like, smoke it if you got it. But otherwise, very... 4.20 plays it. (laughs) Otherwise, just terrible. Yeah. Haunting and just so, honestly, annoying. And you, I would... I'd probably dig up that concrete. I mean, it's, it's a rental house. Concrete, it's a rental house, but like, it just seems so scary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty, and I feel like her body's in that box. Yeah. But at the time, you probably wouldn't know anything. I think it 100% was. Susan Flores's house was eventually searched in March 1997. Nine months after Kristen went missing. Well, they probably wouldn't hide any evidence in those nine months. Why would they do that? Yeah, totally. No. Nothing was found when they performed the search. And it would take another three years for the property to be searched again. In June 19th, 2000, the sheriff and a group of FBI agents came to Susan Flores' house with a search warrant. The warrant gave them permission to dig up the backyard But they decided against excavating, which did not make the Smart family happy. Why? So weird. Exactly. You're there. Why not just do it? You have a warrant for it. Yeah. Stupid. In 2007, the Smart's legal team searched a portion of Susan's backyard themselves with ground-penetrating radar. But they didn't come up with anything. So the person that did the ground-penetrating radar was a geologist? Mm Mm-hmm. And this was the first time that he'd ever been asked to do a case that had a possible murder. Mm. So he saw some some weird, what he called anomalies in the ground, but he thought that they were just like normal, like maybe some rocks under the ground, or mm. he saw some weird pieces of concrete buried kind of deep. But he didn't think that it was anything strange at the time. Mm-hmm. But the interview that I was listening to, he said that he thinks about it pretty much every day. Yeah. And that he feels like he probably should have looked deeper into it mm-hmm. because he didn't know what a body would look like underground. Mm. And tough. it just, I bet it's so hard. Yeah. I bet a lot of people in this case kind of kick themselves every day. Yeah. In 2011, a new sheriff came to town. Well, came to San Luis Obispo. And his name was Ian Parkinson. And he promised to go back from the beginning and examine everything that they had under the Chris and Smart case. Sheriff Parkinson hired a full-time detective to work on the case, to work on the cases that were cold or just unsolved in the department, which has actually proven to be very successful. That's very cool. Mm-hmm. In September of 2016, they received a new lead, 
and they excavated the hillside near uh, the Cal Poly P. I'm assuming that Cal Poly is probably spelled out on a hillside. And near the P is where they excavated, and they were not able to find Kristen's body. But since Sheriff Parkinson has taken charge, they have done 96 different interviews, executed 23 search warrants, which by now are probably more than that, and have collected 258 pieces of additional evidence. Not only is that amazing, but what a cool job to do only cold case. Yeah. Yeah. There's a certain type of person, I think, that needs to, you know, handle that. Yeah. One of the new pieces of evidence being the fact that they located the two missing trucks that they failed to search the first time. Wow. 24 years later. Mm -hmm. They searched the cars and have found evidence in which they cannot disclose as this is an ongoing investigation and some pieces are still going through the forensics lab. But they have been back to Susan's house. They've been to Ruben's house. They've been to Paul's house and his sister's house. Through the over 20 years of investigations, Paul Flores continues to be the only suspect in her case. And the cops won't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. Well, they are now, so. (laughs) Spoiler. Spoiler! With Paul Flores being the only suspect and no cooperation from the Flores family, police were at a standstill. Like, they blatantly told him, just, if you don't say anything, we can't charge you. As a result, in June of 2000, Kristen was declared legally dead in an affidavit that read, Kristen Smart is deceased and either died in Paul Flores' dormitory room or was placed there for an unknown period of time. Based on the information in this affidavit, Paul Flores is responsible for or has direct knowledge of Kristen Smart's disappearance and or death. Reasonable cause exists to believe that Kristen Smart's body is buried in the backyard of Susan Flores' home. And that's how they announced that they thought Kristen was dead. Mm-hmm. That's fucking dope, dude. Yeah. Instead of just declaring her likely dead, they're like, she died and Paul knows what's up. Mm-hmm. But they still don't do anything. They still haven't done anything. Well, they're doing things now, but at the time. Yeah. In May of 2001, Denise Smart, Kristen's mom, held a memorial service for her daughter five long years after her disappearance. They chose to call it a celebration of life, Mm. and they released five doves in honor of each year that she had been missing. Kristen's family and friends wore Hawaiian shirts, and they celebrated the life of a young woman who loved the outdoors and loved the ocean, luau style. Her parents seemed to be stuck in a perpetual state of keeping her story alive, but then also trying to live their own lives, and obviously, like, they love their other children, but... This is just the forefront of their lives at all times. I'm sure it completely wrecked them, too. Absolutely. They're constantly searching for answers and for peace. In 2005, Kristen's parents filed a civil case against Paul Flores for wrongful death. Remember that he is pretty much the last person that can be confirmed to have seen her alive. Mm -hmm. Paul, of course, denied any involvement in the disappearance. 
or just didn't say anything about it. I was going to dick. I was going to say it's different this time because before he said on accordance to what my attorney told me to do, yeah. I am pleading the fifth amendment of the United States of America. Mm-hmm. What did you say? 27 times? 27 times he did that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how you don't jump over a table and beat him. Like they were like, where do you live at this address? And he wouldn't even answer that. He didn't answer anything. It's fucking ridiculous. Yeah. I don't know lawyer stuff, but <laughs> how is that not like some sort of contempt? How because how can you do that? Because you legally have the right to plead the fifth and you yeah. don't have to say anything to incriminate yourself in a court of law. That's true. It's, yeah. It's hard because like we need things like that, but at the same time, it's so frustrating. Yeah, it is. It's it's very hard. This wasn't the first time that the Smart family had sued Paul Flores. They dropped the previous case in hopes of more evidence, in hopes that more evidence would surface and that they would have a stronger case against him. Because if you're not familiar with the way our legal system works, it can be very, very difficult to get a guilty verdict on murder. Mm -hmm. There has to be evidence that proves murder beyond a reasonable doubt or the charges will not stick. But then it also goes the opposite way where based on the jury, there can be no evidence and you can be convicted to death. So it's honestly just a crapshoot. It really is. Mm -hmm. But lawyers try to go in with everything they can. Yeah, everything they can to make it stick. Mm -hmm. A lot of times it's easier to get someone on a lesser charge of kidnapping, rape, or like the smart sued for wrongful death, Mm -hmm. not necessarily a murder. Yeah. A person can really only be tried for a crime one time, so it's very important to make sure that your case is strong going in initially. This time, the smarts were more confident that they would get a conviction. Attorney James R. Murphy, which Nicole mentioned earlier, represented the smart family pro bono for their case. The case is considered, quote, stayed by the San Luis Obispo Supreme Court, which basically means that it's suspended for the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. The legal team working for the Smarts spent thousands of hours poring over evidence available to them at the time, but they were unable to come up with enough to create a solid enough case to take to court. Yeah, and the the lawyers, so it's James Murphy and then his wife is like his assistant, mm-hmm. and the two of them... Are, they're just like so invested, so much so in the case that they have a billboard on their lawn. Yeah. With Kristen, her picture, $75,000 reward, if you have any information. And they promised the Smart family that that billboard would stay on their lawn until Kristen's killer was found. Wow. Until her body was found. Mm-hmm. It's really touching. Yeah. And they did all of this pro bono. Like, that's how that's how much it affected them, like, as people. I think it really affected a lot of people. Yeah, for sure. And it's back in the news, and, I mean, it's affecting yeah. us. I keep getting goosebumps every time we talk about scary stuff. I know, right? The family of Paul Flores countersued the Smart family for emotional distress. <sighs> I hate that so much. But this also went nowhere, and this case was put on hold, too. The Flores family claimed that they had been hounded by the press, random strangers who would just show up at their home, and they were unable to maintain a normal way of life because of the Smart family's interference with their daily lives. I can say, 
I can imagine having people show up to your house constantly to take photos. It would just be awful. Right. But also, if your son is the only suspect in a very high-profile missing persons case, yeah, I don't know, maybe like move or something if it's really bothering you, unless there's a body buried in your backyard. Yeah. Why else would they stay if they're being hounded? Yeah. It, it just... Yeah. Exactly. Obviously, you know who I think did it. Yeah. <laughs> I think we all know who we think uh-huh. did it. And I yeah. think the fucking cops are siding with us finally for once. One time, the Flores family claims that they receive hundreds of letters and postcards yearly, begging them or sometimes threatening them to turn Paul in and cooperate with the authorities. Good. Like we said earlier... Paul Flores has been in trouble with the law quite a few times. In 2012, he was connected with the rape of another California woman. His DNA was matched from a sample collected from a rape kit in 2007. The woman said that she blacked out at a bar in Redondo Beach and woke up naked and disoriented in a stranger's bed. The woman went to the hospital and she was examined. They took a DNA sample, but it wasn't tested until 2012. So ridiculous. Honestly, lucky it was tested at all. Most of them get thrown in the garbage. Mm -hmm. Even though the sample is a definitive match for Paul Flores, 100% this is his DNA. Yeah. He did it. He He absolutely did it. The Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office said, quote, We determined there was insufficient evidence to prove the allegations of rape beyond a reasonable doubt and decline to prosecute the case this he has like i don't i don't understand what his thing is because it's not like he's connected or anything he has fucking nine lives when it comes to the police and getting caught and getting away with it it's unreal like who how how was this possible yeah so many times you could have gotten this guy And they just never did. There had been an investigation in 2007 at the time, but it went nowhere. The police did interview the bartender where this happened, and they said that at least one other bar patron had told a similar story about being sexually assaulted by Paul Flores. Okay, that's a fucking pattern. No, I'm sorry. Not enough evidence. We have his (laughs) DNA from a rape kit and then also other witnesses. We know he did it, but we don't, we can't. How do we prove it with this evidence that we have that proves it? How do we prove it with DNA evidence? I'm busy on Thursday. I don't want to go to court. (laughs) In an interview I was listening to from another woman who used to work with Paul, she did not want to release her name. So I'm... Yeah. Not going to say it. There's Yeah, a couple of women, mm-hmm. all of the women actually that spoke about him were wanted to remain anonymous, which... I get it. I don't, yeah, I don't blame you. She said that she had been sort of friends with Paul a few years ago in 1998. She said that he was part of her work friend group, and she was usually the designated driver. Paul had so many fucking DUIs. <laughs> That he got his license taken away, so she always had to drive him home. That's annoying. Uh, Totally. Why would you want to be friends with him? Yeah. She said that he was awkward and nice when he was sober, but when he was drunk, he was really touchy and confident, but in an aggressive way. She said that she remembers she would drop him off at his house, and he would always tell her that he needed a kiss, 
before he would leave her car. Um, I'm sorry. You can go fuck yourself. Mm-hmm. But this is obviously his move. He did yeah. this the night that Kristen disappeared, yeah, too. Yeah, to Cheryl. She would refuse, and he would eventually relent, until one day he didn't. He refused to leave her car unless she kissed him, and she said, I'm not doing that. And he said, okay, well then, walk me to the door. So she did. Mm-hmm. She said she wasn't scared of him. She said that he was just Paul. Like, mm-hmm. just Paul. It's, this is what he does. Right. But just Paul got pushier, and he made her go up to the door of his apartment. She tried to leave, but he picked her up and carried her inside, where he quickly locked the door behind them. The apartment was dark, and the woman began to panic. She raised her voice, knowing that Paul's sister was there sleeping and that she would wake up. Paul tried to get the woman to go into his bedroom with her, with him, and she refused. Finally, she was able to push her way to the door, unlock it, and leave. But that wasn't where it ended. She brushed it off, and she changed jobs a while later. Paul tried to get a job where she was now working. (laughs) But by then, a special had come out that declared Paul to be the only suspect in the disappearance of the Kristen Smart case. So his job fired him, and no one else would hire him. But that didn't stop him from hanging out outside the woman's new job on a daily basis until she finally had to quit. She had to quit her job because he was stalking her He was stalking the shit out of her. And I bet no charges were ever filed. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. And in the interview, she said, looking back, you know, it was, she said it was a different time. It was sort of like, we were all friends and, you know, mm-hmm. he'd be like weird and you'd be like, oh, well, that's just Paul. Like, knock it off, you knucklehead. Right. And she said, if someone tried to do that to her now, what mm-hmm. he did to her, she would flip out and call the cops. It's amazing to think during our lifetime, mm-hmm. we're not even that old. No. We're 30. But during our lifetime, shit like this used to be okay. Uh Uh-huh. And now it's like, uh uh-uh. Yeah. Nope. I love it. It's a move in the right direction for sure. The disappearance of Kristen Smart remains one of the most high-profile missing persons cases in the country. Over 600,000 people are currently missing in the United States. And so many of those cases fly under the radar. Thanks in large part to Kristen's parents, her case remained in the global zeitgeist and at the forefront of everyone's minds for over two decades. Mm -hmm. It really is amazing if you think about it that she wasn't forgotten about. Yeah, and that's in large part due to her parents and their just like resilience to stay on it and just like not give up until they find her. I can imagine. It's amazing. How could you give up? Yeah, yeah. In the county where Cal Poly is located, the San Luis Obispo County Sheriff's Office continues to review the case on a regular basis, despite the declaration of death. They have spent countless hours and tens of thousands of dollars on the case, which in their minds remains open, Mm -hmm. which is awesome. Yeah, her case has actually never been considered a cold case. Yeah. Which is really cool because they, a cold case, I think, is when you don't have any... like you just don't have any leads Mm -hmm. and they have leads they have paul flores yeah for some reason they just can't get him i don't understand so her case has never been considered cold 
Even the FBI has listed Kristen Smart's case as one of the most high-profile missing persons cases in history, and they offered a $75,000 reward for information leading to her body. There is also this guy, a man in his 60s now, from Sacramento. His name is Terry Black. He's offered $100,000 of his personal money for anyone that can help find Kristen's body. Whoa. No questions asked. Wow. He said in an interview with the San Francisco Register, I would like to see closure for her family. I didn't see any alternatives. Anyone with this type of information will not come forward without some incentive. After 10 years, people change. Get a conscience. Get tired of carrying around such a heavy burden. He offered the reward with the blessing of Kristen's parents. But... They've never met in person, but they do talk on the phone sometimes, which is nice. Oh, that is nice. Another man named Dennis Mahone is also helping the Smart family by doing anything that he can. He traveled to California from his home in North Carolina to knock on doors throughout California to ask if anyone had information. He's become quite close with the Smart family, and he said that he will not give up his search until she's found. Also, fun fact... He likes to eat Thanksgiving dinner with them, which is very nice. That is like the most wholesome thing Mm -hmm. I have ever heard in my life. They seem like really nice people that are just really genuinely grateful. Yeah. And then, of course, there's the podcast that we've been mentioning throughout this episode, Your Own Backyard by Chris Lambert. Mm -hmm. He did a lot of research and interviewing, and it's led to the resurgence of interest in the case. Mm -hmm. A retired FBI agent warned the family that new evidence was resurfacing about the case in early 2020, and they recommended that the family, quote, get away for a while to avoid the media frenzy. The agent had been in contact with the family and was working with them to solve the case for years, even after he left the FBI. So he's also in it for, like, the long run. Yeah, a lot of people are. It's, I mean, it's amazing. It is amazing. In February of 2020, the case really began to take off again with search warrants for the Flores' home issued for, quote, specific items of evidence, just a month after two of the vehicles were seized for evidence. And luckily they weren't lost. (laughs) The warrant listed Kristen's body and personal items as the reason for the search. The Justice Department was treading lightly at the time since the warrant allows for only one visit to the property before it closes. There is a memorial area set up for Kristen overlooking the Pacific Ocean with a family and friends bench and a plaque picture of Kristen, and it's called Kristen's Lookout Point. And many people visit it to lay flowers in honor of Kristen. It's really nice. It's really beautiful, actually. I've, I've seen it. In 1998, the Kristen Smart Campus Safety Act became a California law. It requires all campus and local police to handle investigations of violent crimes on a campus together. So the campus police and the local police have to work together. Oh, okay. So they can't, like, forget to tell the cops, like, until, like, a (laughs) month later. Yeah. Okay, that's pretty good. A billboard was put up and kept in place for over 20 years pleading for information regarding Kristen's disappearance and offering a $75,000 reward for finding her. This same billboard haunted Chris Lambert and is actually what led him to produce his podcast, Your Own Backyard. 
In January of 2020, Justin Crockett, co-owner of Brand Creative West, printed and installed a new billboard because of the efforts that Chris Lambert made and because his podcast really revived interest in this case nationally. As you are probably aware, some new developments have been ongoing with the case. On April 13th, 2021, so just 11 days ago, Paul Flores and his father, Ruben Flores, were arrested on suspicion of murder. So good. Sheriff Ian Parkinson said arrests were made after a search of Ruben's home using ground-penetrating radar and cadaver dogs, which turned up new evidence that Kristen's body may have once been buried under the deck. Okay, I just got goosebumps again. Mm -hmm. But, like, goosebumps of excitement? Yeah. Her body, however, has still not been located. And we can't really give you details surrounding what they found because obviously it's an ongoing investigation and there is not much that they have released to the public. And this is just my own opinion, but I wonder if forensics possibly found something in the trucks that they recovered that led them to be able to get a warrant to dig up Ruben Flores' backyard. Oh, totally. I'm kind of leaning towards that direction. And that's my complete speculation, so don't take that for anything. But kind of fits with the timeline. It would make a lot of sense. On April 13th, 2021, 11 days before we recorded this podcast, Paul Flores, who is now 44 years old, and his father, Ruben Flores, who is 80 years old, were arrested and taken into custody in suspicion of Kristen Smart's disappearance and murder. Both of their homes were searched, and investigators found, and quote, numerous items of interest. <gasps> this past Monday, which would be a week before you are actually listening to this, so the week before you're listening to this, both Ruben Flores and Paul Flores have both pled not guilty to charges of first-degree murder and then accessory to murder for Ruben Flores, his father. Charges of murder. Mm -hmm. Paul Flores is currently being held without bail, but Ruben Flores posted bail on Wednesday. So this this last Wednesday, Judge Craig Von Ruyen lowered Ruben's bail from $250,000 to $50,000, which... I mean, sort of fuck you, Craig. Yeah, like a little bit. Yeah. Also, I recently learned from the show Sneaky Pete that... I love that show. Yeah. That you don't have to pay full bail. And I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. It's like a por- It's like a super small portion of it. Mm-hmm. So he basically got out for free. Mm-hmm. The judge said that he lowered Ruben's bail because Ruben had health problems and because if you are convicted for as an accessory for murder, apparently the maximum time you can serve is just three years in prison. What? Yeah. So his reasoning was that Ruben could potentially serve three years plus in jail just awaiting trial. Oh, I guess that makes sense. Which, I mean, yeah, okay, but how many years did Kristen's parents wait to find out what happened to their daughter when Ruben knew all along because clearly you helped your raper son cover it up? So, 
I know everyone's innocent until proven guilty, but I mean. They waited 24 years, 10 months, four weeks, and one day. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if Ruben is convicted of helping his son cover up this murder, which would make sense because how is Paul going to get a body off off of campus without a car? Yeah. I mean, I don't know who else would help him. Yeah, it seems like, I don't know. I'm yeah. very excited. It's all very exciting and things are still happening. And really, that's all the information that we can give you guys at the moment. But rest assured that we will be talking more about this. I mean, who knows? Maybe we'll do a follow-up episode. But once everything, obviously, is disclosed and we know more and we finally get some answers, we'll keep you guys updated. Yeah, I'm sure we'll be doing an update in hopefully the coming months Mm -hmm. and we get some pretty cool information about what's going on. Yeah. This is very exciting. And obviously, we're not going to do an after show for this one because we have nothing really else to talk about. Yeah. Um, except one thing that I'm just going to ask you right now. Yeah. Who do you think did it? Paul motherfucking Flores. It was Paul Flores. It was Paul Flores. <laughs> there it down. is. That was the after show. And when we have an update, we will let you know. And yeah. also, if you guys get any new information that you see before us. Share it with us. Yeah. DM us or email us at quiteunusualpod at gmail.com. Do we have a listener mail? We do. We have a very fun listener mail. Okay. This week's listener mail comes from Eileen. She says, hello, new listener here from Argentina. What? Binge listening and I came across the werewolves episode and it reminded me of a story my grandma used to tell me before we went to the northern provinces. Ooh. This is one of, like, I love this story so much. It's so fucking cool, I'm so excited. The story is about the legend of the Lobosan, also the Luisan or Luiso, I think is how you say that. Luiso? Maybe. As a, I've never seen a tilde over an O, so I'm not 100% sure. Mm. It's the seventh, number seven again, of the Tao y Karana, characters of the, characters of the Guarani mythology. Also, it is said that the seventh son of a seventh son eat men and women steal children and go to cemeteries to eat the recently dead but only during the night during the day they are normal men only they're super stinky whoa in paraguay and argentina since the 19th century the president becomes the godfather of the seventh son of a couple with only boys born before by law. What? That's crazy. And they get scholarships for primary and secondary schooling. This was done because usually those children were sacrificed by stoning. Wow. Hopefully that wasn't too long of a story. <laughs> it was so it was so short. <laughs> it was so short, but it was so awesome. It was very intense, right? Yeah. Thanks for being with me these last few days during a COVID scare and extreme isolation. Oh. Eileen. Pronounced like the song, Come on, Eileen. Oh, How cute is she? That is adorable. So that's super fun. They have a crazy werewolf that if you have seven sons. The seventh son of the seventh son. Uh-huh. And then the president has to become their godfather. 
Wow. I'm by obsessed law. with this. By law. How cool and would that be? And it's still a law <laughs> today, too. Yeah. That's amazing. I think that's super fun. That was such a cool story. Thank you, Eileen. Yes, thank and you. Hell yeah. Argentina? I know. I fucking love it. So cool, dude. So cool. If anyone has a super cool story or just wants to say hi, honestly, yeah. send us an email to quiteunusualpod at gmail.com or as always, do you want to say it? You can slippery slide into our DMs, baby. That's right. <laughs> We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all of the social medias. So hit us up there too. Yeah, we're at Quite Unusual Pod on pretty much everything. And I also wanted to ask, if you like what you hear, please share us with a friend, Mm -hmm. give us a rating, or give us a review. We'll accept any or all of those. (laughs) Or none of them, if you're very lazy and you don't want to do it. I respect that. If you want to reach out to us, we have a P.O. Box. It is P.O. Box 1212 in Des Plaines, Illinois, 60017. And also, if you are looking for another way to support the show, please check out our Patreon. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of really fun stuff. We recorded the most fun bonus content yeah. earlier today. Super excited to bring that to you guys. It's amazing. We have videos on there. We have bonus shows. We do movie club. Mm-hmm. We do tons of super fun stuff. And actually, this movie club is a little bit special. So it's open to all tiers. You can join for just $2. Mm-hmm. So hit it up at patreon.com slash quite unusual pod or just look in the links to like all of our bullshit social media bios or whatever i don't know just scream it into the universe and maybe it will lead you in the right direction and remember to celebrate the strange and keep it unusual bye and now we've come to the part of the show at the end you know what we're going to do give praise to the all-knowing leaders mm. supporters of the podcast and all-around benevolent beings to spencer w who has ghosted so many people in his day that he actually turned into a ghost and now he haunts conversations on whatsapp Ooh, that's him haunting a conversation Ooh. To Tim M, a voodoo doll maker that uses the ancient art of voodoo to give back rubs to those in need. Hmm. Savannah L, a linguist who specializes in rare languages. She's currently learning to speak Atlantean, which would come easy to her since she already knows how to speak Yeti. They're very similar. Speaking of Yetis, Samantha P., who has recently become a fashion designer for Bigfoot's Big Feet, she makes specialty white fur coats so that the Bigfoot can finally attend their family reunions in Siberia. Mm, Sign me up for one of those. Mike B., the owner of the world's only authentic gray alien toenail clippings. They glow in the dark. But don't step on him. Creepy. To Lauren R., a private investigator who specializes in finding items looted from graves. Kaylee O., suspected of looting items from graves. I hope those two never meet. Oh! Jess H., secretly a winged cryptid, 
has been hiding her true identity from her co-workers for fear that they would want her to go on all their coffee runs. Coffee flies? Pick me up a cold brew, Jesse. Evan Kay, who recently moved into a haunted house because the aesthetic was just so hot right now. Hauntings. So hot right now. Mm. And to Adam R., who is actually one of the Kelly Hopkinsville goblins, but like the tallest and the most human-like one, so it's his job to venture out into the human world for food and scratch-off lottery tickets. Thank you to all our coven members on Patreon. Without you, we are nothing. We're not worthy. We are not worthy. We're not. We're not worthy. We, we just aren't. We're not. We're like really not. We, we need you. We need you. We need you. We need you. 